Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your word. Your word is truth. And we're here, Lord, as truth seekers. And so, Lord, open our hearts and fulfill the desire of our heart as we look for you, Lord Jesus, as the truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, now, Genesis chapter 25. Isn't that something? We're in a new chapter this morning, chapter 25. So I'll just give you a few moments to recover from your shock. (laughs) All right, Genesis chapter 25, verse 1. Then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. And she bare him Zimram, and Yakshan, and Midan, and Midian, and Yishbak, and Shua. And Yakshan begat Sheba, and Didan, and the sons of Didan were Asherim, and Letushim, and Leumim, and the sons of Midian, Epha, and Epher, and Hanach, and Abida, and Eldiah. All these were the children of Keturah, and Abraham gave all that he had unto Isaac. But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac his son while he yet lived, eastward into the east country. And these are the days of the years of Abraham's life, which he lived, 103 score and 15 years. Then Abraham gave up the ghost and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people." All right, now, we've come now to the beginning of, really, we've come to the end of chapter 24, but more importantly, as we've come to the end of chapter 24, we really come to the last great work that Abraham had to do in his life, which was to assure the continuance of his seed, which was find a wife for Isaac. That was the great crisis. And so the chapter opened in chapter 24 with this great anxiety that we felt and we saw on Abraham's part where just had to find a wife for Isaac. Abraham, all of his lifetime, he was a man who did what he needed to do himself. It was Abraham himself. He's the one who went out and led this army of 400 to defeat the five kings and bring Lot back. It was Abraham himself. He's the one who went and built all those altars that we read about. He's the one who himself claved the wood to sacrifice Isaac. He's the one himself who tied up Isaac, raised the knife. Then he took Isaac off the altar and he went and got the ram and tied up the ram and sacrificed it instead. See, all of his life, Abraham has been a man who's been strong and has done things himself, but in chapter 24, we have a different Abraham. Abraham's no longer able to do things himself. As it says in verse one, as we started that chapter, Abraham was old and well-stricken in years. So for Abraham now to be so old and weakened by old age to the point where he could not do what God had called him to do, that was very frustrating for Abraham as it is for all of us. I mean, Abraham knew intimately how old age struck down strength because he watched it already happen in Sarah. He watched Sarah's strength. He watched it as it says, as both of them in chapter 18, verse 11, it says, now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age and ceased to be with Sarah after to the manner of women. And so Abraham is now put in a place where he's forced to rely on others, like Eliezer, to do what God's called him to do. Very frustrating for him. I mean, he wanted to do, he wanted to go find that wife for Isaac, and now he has to rely on Eliezer to get the wife for Isaac. So 
This meant in verse one that it's telling us that old Abraham has just been reduced down to just a man who all he could do was pray for others to do the will of God. Or should I really say Abraham has been reduced down or really Abraham has been elevated up to a man who prays for others, to just prays for others. So the four words in the last verse of this chapter, in, in chapter 24, verse 67, it shows now the last great work of Abraham was accomplished when it says, and Isaac brought her into his mother Sarah's tent and took Rebekah, and she became his wife. See, Isaac now has a wife. Then Abraham is now gonna go on, he's gonna live another 35 years, and during this next 35 years, we're not gonna read as we have of any extraordinary appearances of God to him. We're not gonna read as we have of any extraordinary trials that he has to endure. Just during these next 35 years, Abraham's just kind of sort of sliding in silence, sort of silently into old age, into a state of peace. Not bad, you know, <laughs> and those are the last days of Abraham, and it's a blessing, and God said, this is the way it's gonna be, Abraham, in Genesis fifteen fifty, when he made promise to him, he said, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But this last verse of 67, where we read, she became his wife, meant that something significant also has happened for Abraham. See, when Abraham buried Sarah, that was one event, but he had Isaac, And now he marries off Isaac, and so now his two dearest companions in life, they're now gone from Abraham, and he feels alone. So as we move into chapter 25, with his feelings of feeling alone because Isaac's married, because Sarah's gone, then it says, that sets for us the stage. When we come to verse one, it says, then again, Abraham took a wife, and her name was Keturah. Now, it says that Abraham took a wife, and that's the same word that's used for Hagar in chapter 16, verse three, where it says, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abraham had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. But when the Bible refers to Keturah and Hagar, for that matter, the Bible doesn't call them his wives, calls them his concubines. And so in First Chronicles one thirty-two, when it's referring to Keturah, it says, now the sons of Keturah, Abraham's concubine. So in verse six of this chapter here, 25, both Hagar and Keturah are called concubines. And so God only refers to Sarah as Abraham's wife. Sarah's the mother of the son of promise. And we don't really know much about Keturah. We don't know much about where she came from. We don't know if she was born in his house or if she was bought with money. We don't know. Well, one thing we do know is what her name means. And here's a place now where the meaning of names is going to become important. Keturah means incense or fragrant. So we assume that she was much younger than Abram, and she smelled good, so we know about her. And in verse two, she bore six sons to Abraham. So since Keturah is more than likely much younger than Abraham, it's not remarkable that she bears six children to six sons to Abraham. What is remarkable in verse two is the word him, when it says, and she bare him, Zimram and these others. What's remarkable is that Abraham could produce six more children when he's over 135 years old. He's a really old man. Well, it shows how God took Abraham's fertility, which was described in Romans 4.19 as 
And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about 100 years old. That was when he was 100 years old. Now he's 37 years later. And so in his, in his own dead body, naturally speaking, God gave it life and he produces six more sons. So the only explanation that you can come to for this new life that Abraham is able to generate after the son of promise is 37 years later is what God did for him. Now, the names of the six sons are very interesting. The first name is Zimram, and Zimram means celebrated in song. And so we can understand how with the birth of this son at such an old age that Abraham would say, this is wonderful, this is marvelous, let's celebrate in song. First son is born. So the first son, Zimron, he starts out in Abraham's life to be a joy. He's a celebration, this little boy is a celebration with song. But for poor Abraham, to have a baby when he was probably maybe 140 years old, to have this son, this baby, he's 140 years old, that's kind of a real drain on Abraham's strength. I mean, he's a poor old man here. So from the next three names, we can see how Abraham is kind of wishing that these boys would become useful in life and not just drain on him. So the second son, Yokshan, means fowler. And then the third son, Medan, means judge. And the fourth son, Midian, means one who measures. It was famous because, you know, Moses goes to the land of Midian and marries the priest of Midian. Anyway, daughter. Now, so, so now we've got four sons that are born, and now the fifth son is born, and Abraham is just starting to really feel the drain that all these young children are having on him. I mean, this is tough on poor old Abraham. And so now he has one desire and he expresses that when the fifth child is born. And so the fifth son is named Yishbach and that means he will leave. <laughs> so, so the first five children, he's ready for them to leave, to be gone already. You know, it's like the grandparents, the most wonderful sight when your grandkids come over like they did on Thanksgiving is at the end of the day when you see the headlight, the, the taillights <laughs> going down the driveway. That's nice. Anyway, because they go. And so, right, Ken? Don't you feel that way, too? (laughs) So the fifth one, he names, he shall leave. It's desire. But they didn't leave. And now all these children are making old Abraham feel like he's dying. And so the name of the sixth son, Shuach, means a pit. (laughs) How do you name a kid a pit, right? Because now all these six children on old Abraham, they're making him feel like he's in a pit dying. So, you know, when old Abraham was lonely, you know, that nice, young, fragrant, soft couture, she looked pretty good. She looked like a good idea. I, she says, I need her as a concubine. She was going to look like a good idea. But then babies started come out of her. And for old Abraham, it didn't look like such a good idea anymore. But anyway, then, then we're told that the peoples who came from these two sons, Yakshan and Midian, which became uh, peoples, what are known as the peoples of the East, which today is, is more or less Saudi Arabia. And now we read in in verse 5 that Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. And so we can see that Abraham sees that, well, he's he's really thinking, Abraham, and he's looking there on the horizon. He says, I see a problem arising, you know, the bad problem's coming. And because he had already experienced this problem of Ishmael trying to displace Isaac, and we saw that, and Sarah, of course, spoke up about that. And remember in Genesis 21, 9 and 10, where it says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. And wherefore, she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not 
be heir with my son, even with Isaac, see? That's what happened. So this is a real threat to Isaac of the sons of the concubines now being an heir with him, displacing him, and it weighs heavily on Abraham. So Abraham makes his first move which is in verse five, when he gave all that he had to Isaac. See, this is what Eliezer already told Rebekah's family. He said that, remember, in, in verse 36 of the chapter 24, when it says, and Sarah, my master's son, my master's wife, bare a son to my master when she was old, and unto him hath he given all that he hath. But Abraham knew that just to give all that he had to Isaac was not enough. He had to also take care of the sons of the concubines. I mean, he had to make sure that they didn't try after his death to muscle their way in and muscle Isaac out. So we read in verse six how Abraham gave gifts to them. Abraham, that was right for Abraham to take care of them. I mean, they were his children. It was right that he should take care of them. I mean, I have a friend, and he had a child with a mistress and when he was married, and, and he's rightly taking care of the responsibility, financially providing for that child. And Abraham is rich, and so we can assume that he gave gifts of gold and silver like Eliezer brought for Rebekah's family, gave them to these sons of the concubine. And now, when Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac, and said, that wasn't enough for Abraham to feel that the sons of the concubines were taken care of, and now they wouldn't try to muscle Isaac out from being an heir. I mean, Abraham's thinking, when I die, I can see what's going to happen. So when Abraham gave these gifts to the sons of the concubines, he knew it wasn't enough. So what he does is he, he wants to make it very clear. He made it very clear that Isaac was his son, and that after his death, if that should be that way, but Abraham's not satisfied with that because he knows it. So what did he do? What did he do in verse six? But unto the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had, Abraham gave gifts and sent them away from Isaac, his son, while he yet lived eastward unto the east country. So the only assurance that Abraham had that the sons of the concubine were not going to, after his death, muscle out Isaac from being his heir was he had to send him away eastward, the east country. See, in order to see what he's doing here, these two statements are very important because when Abraham was sending them away from away, was he sending them away from himself? What does it say? Who is he sending them away from? Verse six. Isaac. Says I was sending away from Isaac. From Isaac. He's sending him away. He was protecting Isaac. And think about that. I mean, that was pretty hard on Abraham. I mean, Abraham was a father of those sons of the concubines. And, and so naturally, Abraham loved them. At least for some time he loved them until they started to kill him. But apart from that, and he had a love. We saw the, he had a love. We got an, an insight into Abraham's love for one of the sons of the concubines, for Ishmael, when in Genesis chapter 17, verse eight, Abraham cries out to God for him. He says, and Abraham said unto God, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Why did Abraham pray that way for Ishmael? Because he loved him, it was his son. So he cries out to God for, before God out of his love for Ishmael. He says, oh, let him live before you. So when Abraham sent his sons away, those were his sons that he had with those concubines. And he knew that he would never see them again. And he didn't. And this broke Abraham's heart. Just as Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac for the will of God, Abraham is willing to sacrifice ever seeing these sons who he loves for the will of God so that Isaac can become his heir. And it says, What's very important to see here in verse six is when the Bible emphasizes when he sent these concubines away. What does it say in verse six? While he lived, while he yet lived. That's a special point that's being emphasized in verse six, that Abraham sent the sons of the concubines away while he yet lived. 
He knew if he relied on his last will and testament to assure that Isaac's going to be the heir, that was too risky. Therefore, as painful as it was, Abraham sent them away while he lived, and he sent them far away. He never saw them again. I mean, just think of that picture. Let's think of that picture. That's a heartbreak for Abraham. But think also of the picture of Abraham giving gifts. He goes to each one, and he gives them gifts. Each one, he gives them gifts. And then Isaac, he gives all that he has. Now, freeze that picture in your mind, because what Abraham did there is what God does. See, just as Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines and then gave all, then turned around and gave all that he had to Isaac, that's what God does. See, God gives gifts and blessings to all the children of this world. He does. I mean, he gives to the lost. He gives to the rebels. He gives to the haters of him. He gives to them gifts. He gives them gifts of health. He gives them gifts of sunshine, of rain, of seasons, of the wonder of living on his beautiful earth. Those are all gifts. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ is referring to in Matthew 5.45 when he says that you may be the children of your father, which is in heaven, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. See, in that verse, the Lord Jesus Christ talks about the son and he calls it the father's son. He said, the son in the sky, that's the father's son. It's his son. He said, his son. And he said, he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And then in that verse, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks about the rain, and he says the Father sends the rain, sends the rain. When God spoke about his word, when he speaks about his word in the Bible, he said it's just like the rain. It's just like the rain. The word, the rain are sent for a purpose. In Isaiah 55, 10 through 11, he said, for as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither. See, we see it. We see it coming down. We say, oh yeah, it's falling from the sky. Okay. But watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And then he says, so shall my word be that goeth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. He sends the rain. He sends his word. The Lord Jesus said the Father sent the rain on the just and the unjust. David said how God's goodness is to all men in Psalm 145, verse 9, where David said, the Lord is good to all and his tender mercies over all his works. See, Paul spoke about how the Lord is good to all in Acts 14, 17, when Paul says, nevertheless, he left not himself without witness and that he did good and gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. See, God gives to all. He gives these gifts of rain and fruitful seasons and food. and makes people glad. makes everybody glad. So just as Abraham gave these gifts to the sons of the concubines, God gives gifts to all on the earth. But then, just as Abraham kept back, reserved a special reservation of all that he had to Isaac, God gives to believers his special covenant gifts, which are the gifts of salvation and justification and the gift of adoption and the gift of an entrance into heaven and a gift of a mansion to live with him in heaven forever. So Abraham reserves all that he had for Isaac. God reserves all those special gifts. Now, as we see this recap of Abraham's life in verse 7, I said, these are the days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived, 103 score and 15 years. In verse seven, the years of Abraham's life are described with a certain phrase. What's the phrase that describes his life, the years of his life? The days, the days, the days of the years. See, that's interesting. 
that the years of Abraham's life are described as days. Not weeks, not months, not seasons, not just years, but days of the years. It's very significant in the way that he describes these years of Abraham's life. The days of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. See, that tells us that our lives are spent in terms of days, days of the years of our life. That's why it's important for us to see our lives this way, see our lives in terms of days. See, it's important for us to pray for each day as the Lord taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 11, give us this day our daily bread. See, God wants us to focus, our focus to be on our day, on today. We should pray that God will give us our food today and that we'll have all that we need today. See, we get all caught up in a trap of worry and anxiety when we start to project into the way off unknown future. And then you know the question that comes to us, the haunting question, what's gonna happen to me? See, the Lord told us not to do that. He said in the same chapter of Matthew 6, he says, take no thought, therefore, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. He's saying, you've got enough already. I have an Israeli friend. He lost all of his investments several years ago. And from that trouble, it was, it was actually very good because then he came down and with me, he prayed the sinner's prayer. He received the Lord Jesus Christ as his God and Savior. And I speak to him regularly, often several times a week. And every time I speak to him, I ask him the same question. And that is, how are you? <laughs> That's how we start. And he always gives me the same answer. He says, miserable, I have a miserable life. (laughs) And I always ask him, why is he miserable? And he always tells me the same thing. He has no money. And he's worried over the question, what is gonna happen to me? That's what he says. Oh, what is gonna happen to me? And he tells me, he keeps telling me, he doesn't have any money for food, he doesn't have any money for his apartment, and he's afraid that he's gonna have to be sleeping on a park bench, he says. And so for years, this is the way our conversation goes. And he's telling me this of his fear and his anxiety over the long-term future. But in the years that I've known him, he's always had money for food and he's always had money for his apartment and he's never been sleeping on a park bench. (laughs) But he keeps worrying about the future. Why? Because he's not seeing his life as days. But he's looking into the future and he's saying, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And he worries about that. If my friend, if my, my whole goal, if I get him to see days, if my friend would just see his life in terms of days and ask God for money for today, for his food and his apartment, he'd be giving God thanks that today he had been provided for his food and for his apartment. See, my whole goal is to get my friend to stop focusing on this long-term future and to start focusing on the days of his life. I'm trying to get him to look at his life like verse seven. See, because being worried over the long-term future, it poisons thankfulness. I asked my friend one time if there was anything that he was thankful for, and he told me nothing. So I I thought, if I can get him to think of days, I can get him to be thankful. So this is my goal, you know, get him to think of days, get him to be thankful, get him to think in terms of verse seven. So that's my whole goal. Get him to to think of verse seven, days, and then he'll be thankful. So to try to get him to do that way, I asked him a question. I asked him, you know, the same old question, how are you? He says, miserable. And then I said, okay, are you more miserable today than you were yesterday? And then he told me, he said, yes, he's more miserable today than he was yesterday. And I said, well, good. He said, why is that good? I said, because now you can be thankful that you were less miserable yesterday. (laughs) 
our lives become much less miserable and much more simple when we see our lives in terms of days, as in verse 7. See, seeing our lives in terms of days, verse 7, means that we'll take to heart this emphasis, day, daily, give us this day, our daily bread. And the Lord is emphasizing those words, and what he's really saying is that you've got to get yourself into the today mode. So that when you come in the morning, in your time of devotion with God, you say, Lord, I want to meet with you, and then always put in that word, today. And Lord, I want to give myself to you and put in that word, today. Lord, please help me to not sin against you today. Lord, please help me to encourage a believer today. Feed him with your word. Lord, please help me to encourage a lost person to come to you today. And then at the end of the day, it becomes very simple as we review and we ask ourselves the question, did I meet God today? Did I give myself to God today? Did I sin today? Did I confess that sin to God or make it right if need be to another today? Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.